So I've kind of stopped using the word Christian. And that might sound a little weird to you, like, aren't we Christians? We are Christians. But, but a lot of people think they're Christian because they're American, or their parents were Christian, or they, it's just, yeah, I'm a Christian. To me, there's a big difference to being a Christian than what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is, is trumps just saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian but I want to be someone who follows Jesus. We want to be his, his disciples. I think that's important that we remember that. One of the most basic elements of following Jesus is actually doing what he says to do, taking his words and putting them into practice in our life. We're imperfect at doing that, but, but learning to pursue, to put into practice what he said to do is what it means to be his disciple. And Jesus was perplexed sometimes. He, he said in, in, in Luke, he said, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? And before you go down the road of legalism or Jesus is the taskmaster and do, 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 here's the list, it's not that. Jesus really knows the way of life because he created us. He really knows the way to life. He is the way. And so in following him, and putting into practice what he says to do, obedience to him, is the most important thing we can do with our lives. Following Jesus is about two words, learning and doing. Learning is discipleship. The word disciple means learner. So it's about learning and then doing. So we learn what he says to do, and we put it into practice. And we find what life is really about. I think, you know, learning is discipleship, doing is lordship like he's the lord and he's the one that we're following in other words ask the question who am i learning how to do life from we're all we all have learned and are learning what's most important about life from someone let's be let's have it be jesus right and then who's calling the shots who's calling the shots in our life and in how we behave how we spend our money how we live our life who's calling the shots in that I think anything Jesus asks you and I to do, he's already done it himself. He's, he's that kind of leader. If he tells us to do something, he's already done it, and he knows. So it's important that we, we realize that good leaders are willing to do or have done what they're asking somebody else to do. So we're in this series called Kingdom Come, and we're going through the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and we're just looking at the life of Jesus what he taught, what he did, and ultimately his mission to seek and save that which is lost. So I'm going to read to you from Luke 5, <clears throat> uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11, and it's a story of Jesus calling his first disciples. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesare, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat a little from the shore. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. 
and haven't caught anything. Catch this. But because you say so, I will. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Picture that. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled, up, they pulled their boats up on the shore and left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Because you say so, I'll do it. Because you say so, I will. Let's ask a question about that. Because who says so? Like, that's an important question. Who are we talking about? Because you say so, I will. Who is the, who is the, the you? Who is the person that we're talking about? How many times do, do we hear from people in some sort of authority, you know, well, why should I do that? Because I said so. Parents, have you ever done that before? Because I said so. Because I'm your parent. Because I'm the boss. Because I'm the coach. Because I say so. If we don't like instruction or the answer to our question. Sometimes little kids are sometimes the worst about this. You know, can Johnny spend the night? No, not tonight. Why not? Well, because I said so. How does that go over? Like, you get bombarded 10 more times, right? And you, when you finally say, because I said so, you're, you're using that authority that you have there. But because I said so only carries weight when we understand who's talking, right? It only carries weight by our respect for the person who says, because I said so. I think when it comes to Jesus, we make a lot of mistakes in understanding who Jesus is. Depending upon how you've been raised, I think a large portion of people in this room are watching. Maybe you were raised to understand Jesus as legalistic Jesus. He's the taskmaster. He's the rules, the do's and don'ts, doot, 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 doot. he's serious all the time, never smiling, therefore you, you, you get this picture that that's who Jesus is. And that, nothing could be farther from the truth about who Jesus is. I think the, the flip of that, the counter of that is we have sometimes in our minds a Jesus that doesn't care how we live the liberal Jesus, so to speak. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care how, how, we, how we live. And both of those are not the truth of what we see in Scripture. What we see is the balance. The who is talking to us here is the Lord Jesus. Not legalistic or liberal, but Lord Jesus. And when we understand that, who he is, it makes obedience to Jesus a pleasure rather than a drag in our lives, when we have come under his, who he is, his authority. And it's important, like often in evangelical Christianity, we say, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? We don't make Jesus Lord. He's Lord whether we acknowledge it or not. All we do is acknowledge, yeah, 
you're the Lord of all. What's important is, first of all, Jesus is God. That's who you're talking about. Peter was getting a glimpse of that when what was going on didn't make sense. He says, because you say so, I will. Big difference there. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's God in the flesh. When we say we follow Jesus, when we say we're a Christian, we're acknowledging Jesus is God. Jesus is supreme and sovereign over all things. In Colossians chapter 1, it says he is the image of the invisible God. He's the face of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at the life of Jesus. But it says that, that for by him all things were created. He's the, he has reconciled all things to himself. He's the sustainer of all things. Jesus is a really big deal. That's, that's what you've got to walk away from. And, and when we're standing in awe of who he is, and yet he's a in-touch Savior with us. Like he's been there, he's been through in his humanity. He came into our world to show us what God was like and to redeem us. And he's Lord. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we don't make him Lord, we follow him as Lord because we really believe that he knows best. At the end of the day, do we believe that Jesus knows what's best for our life or not? And we make the mistakes, I make the mistakes of figuring it out that, yeah, you're actually all right on this one, Jesus, and I'm, I'm wrong. Now, here's what's important to that story. Peter didn't feel like obeying Jesus, right? He's the professional fisherman. Professional fisherman is being told by a carpenter what to do when it comes to his profession. I imagine Peter's thinking in his mind, Jesus, if I want to know how to make a table, I'll come to you. But I got this fishing thing figured out. You stick to tables and, and, and your, your tools, and I'll stick with the nets. But he didn't do that. It made zero sense to him, and yet he said, because you say so, I will. Doing what Jesus tells us to do doesn't always make sense. Anybody figured that one out? Doing what he says to do doesn't always jive with, with what seems right to us. But Peter learned a great lesson in that moment about what it means to say, because you say so, I will, even when I don't understand. What do we do? What do you do when you don't agree with Jesus on how to respond to a situation or circumstances? You don't feel like doing what he's saying to do. I think what we do is we walk by faith. We walk by faith that he's God, he created us, and we believe that he has our best intentions at heart when he tells us to do something or not to do it. I... I wish when I was young, a young boy that somebody would have told me that when God tells you to do something or not to do it, it's because he loves you and he has your best interest at heart. I saw it as rules that went against everything I wanted to do, that my flesh was telling me to do, and how dare you kill my fun and, and all of that. We've all been there. And yet, Hindsight being 2020, he knows exactly what's best for each one of us. So young people in this room, will you listen to what your parents are teaching you about God, that God actually has your best life 
in, as his intention in what he says to do. So as I was thinking about this, just camping on that statement, because you say so, I will. I think there's four areas in our lives that, that we're stretched to do what Jesus tells us to do. Four areas that I picked that, four things that he asks his followers to do that aren't always very easy to do. And the first one is this, Jesus, because you say so, I will pursue love as the goal of my life, agape love. How many know loving people is not the easiest thing to do in life? Showing love to people. And the word agape love, we've talked about this a lot. We had a series on this last fall, but, but the Greek, the New Testament's written in Greek. And the, the Greek language is way more descriptive than the English language. We're limited. We throw the word love around pretty easy. Oh, I love it. It's a, that's a great painting. Or I love it when my team wins, which my teams never do. But, I, I, you know, we, we love ice cream. I love God. I love my family. In, the, in Greek, the, the word phileo is companionship love. Uh, eros is romantic love. Agape love is self-sacrificial God kind of love. It's a serving love. It's unconditional. It's love demonstrated without needing something in return. So it's important that we re remember love is not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an action. And so because he says so, we'll pursue a life of love as our goal. Now, where do I get this from? Jesus is washing his disciples' feet in the upper room the night that before he was going to be betrayed. And he, he told them, he said, so I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know you're my true followers. He didn't say people will know we're his followers by how eloquently we pray, how much Bible we quote. He said, people will know who are my followers when you love one another. And you, in that act of love, pursuing love, as I have loved you. Now, it's interesting. Why did he say a new commandment? Because you go to, the, to the, the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then also... In Leviticus 19, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Why was this somehow a, a new commandment? As I have loved you. I have, think about the grace that he gave his disciples, man. And he served them and he washed their feet. And he knew that all of them were going to scatter on the night he was betrayed. He knew he was about to be betrayed and they were all, he was going to be left by himself. Just him and his father. And he loved them anyway. Do you have difficult people in your life? Don't raise your hand or elbow your, your spouse. I thought about doing that, then spirit was like, nah, don't do that. But <laughs> difficult people, unlovable people, prickly people that just are like cactus. You know, you get close to them and it's... I know this to be true. He loves me when I'm difficult. I can be difficult. Ask my family, right? They'll be truthful with you. 
We all can be difficult. And you know what? Jesus loves us when we're being difficult, when we're being hard to get along with. He loves us. And he wants us to love the difficult people in our life. That's his, that's his call. Is to, as I have loved you, so you're to love one another. And that's not easy to do. But I think one of the key factors is remember, love is not a feeling. Sometimes you're loving in spite of how you feel. And love is not like. You're not commanded to like everybody. That's impossible. But we are commanded to love, even people we might not like. So sometimes we just have to say, Lord, because you say so, I will. And the definition of agape love is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. It's kind, it's forgiving, and so on and so on. And so that's the kind of love he wants us, he, he gives to us, and he wants us to give to others. Second one is, Jesus, because you say so, I will forgive others as I have been forgiven. Forgiving is not an easy thing to do sometimes, especially to the depth of an offense or something that's happened to you through somebody. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That almost seems conditional, right? It's kind of weird. But I believe that what Jesus is saying here is if we're not willing to forgive from our heart somebody, then maybe we haven't really received the, the forgiveness of the Father. Paul in Colossians says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So every time you get offended, get your eyes off of the offense and put it on your own faults, your own failures. Then you begin to go, oh, I can forgive as I've been forgiven in the Lord. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to. And I think it's important to define forgiveness Forgiveness is not a feeling. Just like love is not a feeling, forgiveness is not a feeling. If something bad has happened to you or been done to you by somebody else, you can't expect yourself to zap away a negative emotion from that. That's not reality. But forgiveness is a refusal to take revenge, and it's a a pursuit of not bringing the offense up anymore. That's, that's when you know that you're, you've forgiven. And I think you know you've forgiven somebody when you can pray blessings over them. One of the most important things. So I would say this. If, if today you're having a hard time forgiving somebody or something that's happened to you, take that person, take that offense to the cross. Take it to the cross. At the foot of the cross, lay that. And forgive as you have been forgiven. The cross takes away every excuse we can come up with to not forgive somebody. Takes away every excuse. When we gaze at the cross, knowing that that our our sins were on the cross, also the sins of others, as we take them there. Think about Jesus. When he's on the cross, he's totally wrongly being persecuted and, and, and nailed to the cross and humiliated and all of that. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a crazy statement. Because in a sense, they did know what they were doing. But he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The thing I love about our Lord Jesus is he practiced what he preached. 
after he taught about forgiving one another and, and loving your enemies, the first thing that happens is he goes and heals the centurion soldier's servant. The centurion soldiers were the Roman soldiers who held the Jews in oppression and treated them terribly, like animals sometimes. And Jesus, when, he, when the centurion asked him to heal his servant, Jesus could have said, are you kidding me? Have you seen what your people have done to my people? Why would I do that for you? No, Jesus practiced what he preached, and he, he healed his servant. The third one, Jesus, because you say so, I will take courage that you've overcome the world. How many of you know it's hard to have courage sometimes in life? It's hard to have faith. It's hard to walk in hope when life, you know, I was talking to a few people this morning. It's been a rough couple months for me. And am I going to take courage that he's overcome the world? Or am I going to just, you know, wallow in, in woe is me, why me kind of deal? And all of us have been through stuff. I mean, it's, it's crazy. We've been through health stuff, financial stuff, job loss, divorces. I mean, it's been difficult for, for a lot of people. Let's just admit it. But Jesus, because you say so, I'll take courage that you've overcome. Here's what, in, in the context of that is, that the verse I'm about to read you is, Jesus is telling his disciples what's about to happen to him and what's going to happen in the future. And he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Catch that. In him we have peace, not in the world. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. That's such an awesome statement. This is what I love about Jesus. He didn't say, hey, if you follow me, life's just going to be piece of cake, man. You'll have everything you want, and you never lose a job. You'll never get sick. Just follow me. That's what some people think, that Jesus is the genie that just answers our wishes. Jesus actually said, when you follow him, it's going to make your life even more difficult. And I, I love the truthfulness of our Lord and in, in his calling us to discipleship. He said, it's going to be difficult if you follow me, but it's worth every moment of it. It's worth everything. You'll gain eternal life. You'll gain an understanding of life as you follow me. I think it's interesting that Jesus is saying to them, hey, take courage. I've overcome the world. That's actually a command. And often in scripture, you'll see the commands of God are also promises from God. They go, they they just overlap. He's saying, take courage. If you take courage, you'll understand, I've overcome the world. I've overcome the the difficulties. How do we do that? How do we get to a place where we don't let life's trials ruin us? Well, I think, first of all, it's I can't fall in love with the world and the things of the world. And I admit, you know, just like everybody else, I want life to just go smooth and never have any speed bumps along the way. But that's not reality. And, and I think for us, you know, you can know what your hope truly is in. Is our hope in something that can't be taken away from us? That's where it has, the only way we can take courage is to know that my hope is, can't be in anything that can be taken from me. People can be taken from us. Money, health, 
relationships, all that can be taken away. So our ultimate hope has to be in that which can't be taken away, and that's the peace of Christ, the joy of Christ, and eternal life. Nothing can take those things away from us. That's how we take courage today. So if you're discouraged today, because that's the opposite of courage, right? If you're discouraged today, I want you to talk to Jesus. And I want you to ask Jesus, Jesus, is everything going to be okay? And I promise you, you will hear like a tuning fork in your heart. He'll say, I got this. I got this. Do that this week. Do it every time you feel discouraged. Jesus, are you discouraged? And he'll laugh at you. <laughs> he'll have a little giggle with you. Because he's, he doesn't get discouraged. He's, he's done it. He's got this. All right, the last one. Because you say so, I will strive for unity with my fellow believers. Jesus, because you say so, I will strive for unity with my fellow believers. He says in his prayer, this is amazing, in John 17, he's in the upper room, he's praying just before his betrayal, and he was praying for you and me. Catch this. He's praying to the Father. I am praying not only for these disciples, the 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. It's pretty cool. Jesus, we were on his, in his, on his mind and in his prayers. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. See what's at stake there for unity? That the world sees infighting everywhere in politics, ideology, governments. Then they look in the church and we're fighting amongst ourselves and they go, oh, that, that, that's not real. That's what Jesus is saying is at stake. So much that we love and care for one another. When you study the early church, the first couple hundred years, man, they just did it differently than, than we do. They, 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 there was something that just was irresistible about the early church, that people flocked to the message of Jesus, and the Romans would send people to go spy on this new, new community with this new king, should we be threatened by them? And they would just come back and report, yeah, they're not living for this world, and they actually love each other. Like, that's, that's a written down in some of the, the church fathers' recordings of what happened. We need to walk in unity. Unity is a big deal to Jesus. He and his Father have been in perfect union for all eternity. They had this, they're always in agreement. And I was thinking about that, you know, because I've said this before. Agreement can't be our goal all the time. The father and son are in a, that perfect relationship. We're learning about that, and we see it. We don't know all that they know. Therefore, it's hard for us to, to always walk in unity. We have things that seem we elevate importance to us. But I think we need to remember a couple things. First of all, unity in the essential truths of Christianity. You know why there's so many denominations all over the world? Is somebody somewhere 
elevated a secondary issue and made it a primary issue. If you look at our belief statement online, it's simply the Apostles' Creed. Because the Apostles' Creed is the essential truths that unite us to the early church and unite all believers, past, present, and future. Those are the things that we hold primary. Secondary issues can be very important, but we are striving to not divide over them. Um, we want to discuss, we can debate, but we're not going to divide over that. I think that's important as we strive for unity in the essentials. And then let's talk about the secondary things. But in all things, love. Now, unity is a choice, too. You choose unity. And how, you, how we do that is let's focus on the things that unite us rather than divide us. Let's be known for what we're for rather than what we might be against. I think that's such a, a key thing moving, moving forward in this culture that we're, that we're in right now. We have a calling, a divine calling, to show the world what love and unity looks like. I think we do a pretty good job here at Novation. I think you guys have, you, you get the big picture of why we exist as a church. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist to be a city on a hill, a light to the world, to know about Jesus and the simplicity of, of him and who he is and what it means to be his disciple and his, his follower. I want our worship team to come back up. And as I kind of wrap this up, I want you to think about something with me. Jesus is Lord, whether I choose to acknowledge that or not. <laughs> Jesus isn't affected by my choices, but those around me are affected by my choices. And people he loves can be affected by our choices. And are we willing today to be like Peter, when loving somebody feels the exact opposite of what I feel like doing, when forgiving somebody feels like the exact opposite, when walking courageously through difficulties and trials, when walking in unity seems difficult, will we individually and collectively say, because you say so, we will, Jesus. We're going to follow you in the midst of this, not our feelings, not our own wisdom. So of those four, because you say so, I will, which one stood out to you personally? I would imagine one maybe resonated in your heart of, yeah, I'm struggling in this area. Let's pray about it right now. We're going to pray about it, and then we're going to sing to the Lord because you say so, I will. So you stand with me. Father, uh, we love you. Jesus, we want to, to say and declare to you because you say so, we will. God, minister to your people right now. Holy Spirit, I pray just a fresh blessing of a sense of your tangible presence. God, heal marriages, heal relationships, heal bodies, heal friendships. 
You're the healer. And, and ignite in us, Lord Jesus, a fresh sense and desire to follow you. Lord, where we've maybe fallen off the path of, of, of following you, help us get back on that path. Help us when we're tempted to sway, turn off the path of following you and following ourselves. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Lord, we want to sing to you right now a new song from our hearts. In Jesus' name.